I like that. <laughs> Did you all know that song already? I didn't either, but you sang it well. <laughs> Not like that's unusual, I'm just, I'm just saying. The, uh, hey, a couple of special visitors are here with us tonight. Uh, first, the White family's here from uh, Braselton, Georgia, our old home church. And uh, so try to behave while they're here and be nice to them. And then D.H. and Emily Henry and their kids are here. Uh, D.H. and Emily work with Mission of the World um, on the Navajo Nation out of Flagstaff Church up there. there are, uh, our church supports them a little bit uh, each month. And so I don't think you've ever had a chance to meet them. So hopefully they can stick around a little bit afterwards and you can say hello. Nice surprise to have you, though. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible and want to turn there or just follow along in the bulletin, that's there. I would risk the serpent's bite. I would dance around with seven. I would kiss the diamond back if I thought it would get me to heaven. Because I want to get right with God. You know you need to get right with God. It's a Lucinda Williams song. I'm sure you all knew that. Um, she's a Delta bluesy singer. Um, like Lady Macbeth with a slide guitar. And uh, she sings just what Lady Macbeth was saying when she was feeling guilty about uh, King Duncan's death and her part in it. When she said, all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Uh, something wrong in us uh, that needs fixing. It's like guilt, but it feels like it's more than guilt. Uh, we're looking at a passage tonight that uses the term defiled a lot. Defiled, which is, it's not just that something's dirty, it's something that isn't, so, it's that something that isn't supposed to be dirty is dirty. You know, something precious has been made, has been spoiled or made a mess of, it's been defiled. And uh, Jesus is talking to people who care about this deep feeling of defilement that most of us carry around uh, and is talking to them about what to do about it um, so you can feel clean again, if that's even possible. And so we're going to talk um, about why feeling clean from defilement is so elusive and the hope that we have in Jesus for that. So let me pray for us and then we'll read the scripture. Father, please come help us open our hearts and minds to you. Um, let us see what we need to see about ourselves, even if it's hard. But let us feel deeply the hope we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Long passage. I don't know if it helps you more to listen or to read along, but uh, do what you wish. When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, well, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile them, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. It's from within, out of the heart of a man, that come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, Christ. So, my freshman year, a movie came out um, in color, and uh, called The Gods Must Be Crazy. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, it's really cute, it's sort of in a documentary style, that's telling a story of uh, a tribe of Kalahari Bushmen who are completely isolated from any technology or civilization and who live a peaceful life together and uh, are happy and they all get along well. Until one day someone flies over in a bush airplane drinking a Coca-Cola in a bottle and finishes it and just throws it out the window of the airplane. Lands right in the middle of this uh, tribe's meeting. It's the hardest thing uh, in their experience that they've seen is this hard glass bottle. And they've never seen anything like it. Assume it's a gift from the gods. Well, it's very handy to have because they can grind um, grain with it more easily than they could with the softer rocks that were there in that area. Useful to them, but it also brings scarcity into their lives because there's only one of them. And so people before long start to fight over it and be envious with it, and then someone even hits someone else with it over the head. Right? And so, it's a funny movie, they decide what they need to do is go take this terrible gift back to the gods. And so one of the Bushmen takes it to the end of the world and throws it off uh, the Victoria Falls. Uh, but what they had was not a Coke bottle problem, they had a Bushman problem, right? <laughs> The Coke bottle did not make them evil all of a sudden. The Coke bottle just flushed out what was already in their hearts. It's a, you know, the, the movie is sort of a winking nod to Rousseau's uh, noble savage idea that civilization and technology are the things that have corrupted us, uh, that we're born innocent and would be if it weren't for these corrupting influences. But 
we know that those corrupting influences are deep inside of us. At least that's what Jesus really points to here. He says your real problems are not external to you, they're internal. Not the Coke bottle, but the Bushman. Your problems are internal, not external, and they're way deeper than you would expect them to be. Deeper than they seem to be when you're just thinking about yourself and thinking about other people. So deep in us that you can't clean yourself. Like if things wrong with you, you can't fix. And that's irritating at best and insulting and angering at worst. Uh, the people he was talking to here, I think, took it more as insulting and angering instead of just irritating. But if you think that your problems are mostly external or at least superficial, uh, then you're likely to go on a quest to fix yourself and clean yourself. Uh, you could do it with religion. Uh, you could do it with uh, politics. You could do it with spiritual practice. You could do it by shopping at Whole Foods and reading the words on the wall, you know, about uh, how you can be a, a good person who's a force for good in the world or whatever else it says, right? But you find ways that you can clean yourself and feel good and clean up about yourself if you think your problems are external or superficial. But if you believe what Jesus says here, that our real problems are super deep uh, in our hearts, beyond our reach and our ability to clean, then you will finally, maybe, see your need for the mercy of Jesus. And what Jesus comes to help us with doesn't make much sense to us if we just think our problems of defilement are external or superficial. Uh, if our hearts are broken, though, if they're a mess, if they are defiled, then only Jesus can clean us. And that's what we're going to think about here, uh, is Jesus is mostly doing diagnostic here. He's not talking a whole lot about the good news about how he can clean you. Uh, what he's really saying is you need to realize what's wrong. It's mostly diagnostic. If you don't realize what's really going on with you, you're, you're not going to look in the right place for help. You're not going to look to me. Um, so these were serious people, though. I mean, they, were, they really wanted to be clean. And um, like they were super rigorous about God's law, Sabbath-keeping. You know, they were at synagogue every Sabbath. They kept all the rules about work on Sabbath into great detail. Kept all the food laws. You know how hard it is for us even to keep a little diet? Well, they kept food laws their whole lives that were way more rigorous than most of our diets and did it. Um, because they were serious. They tithed their money and everything, and super scrupulous about that. Uh, very uh, intent on sexual purity and modesty and things like that. They really cared about it. They were serious. They weren't just playing. They're people you would say are super committed to family um, and would be great employees, right, if you could hire somebody like this. And Jesus looks at them, and the first thing he says to them is he says, well, you're hypocrites. You're hypocrites. It's sort of a jarring thing to read, you know, when he says that he said to them, uh, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? And they weren't hypocrites in the sense that they didn't really believe what they said they believed. They really believed in God. They really were serious when they worshipped God. I mean, it wasn't like they were um, one thing in public and a different thing in private or something like that. It was a different kind of hypocrisy that he was talking about. And... Um, that is the kind of hypocrisy where you appear to be something on the outside that you're really not on the inside. And they didn't feel that. They didn't feel like they were putting on a show. 
Um, or if they did, it was just maybe a nagging suspicion in the back of their heads that there was something not really working about their approach to religion and being clean. Um, but he's saying, you're, you're putting on, on the outside something that's not authentically true on the inside. And that's why he calls them hypocrites. And he says, basically, you think that your problems are external when they're not. And because you think your problems are external, you try to clean yourself using God's law. You try to take God's law and make it into soap that you can use to clean yourself morally. Keeping it more rigorously will make you more clean. It's what you assume about it. And Jesus comes and says this in a thousand different ways over and over. He says, the law is not soap. The law can't clean you. That's not what it's for. The law is a mirror to show you what's wrong with you, but it's not curative. It's just diagnostic. The law is a soap, it's a mirror, and if you get that wrong, you're going to misuse it and misconstrue the law and make something really ugly out of something beautiful. So, um, and when you try to use the law as soap, you invite all sorts of pathologies in. Um, but it's pretty instinctive to try to use the law as soap, you know, to think, well, that's the problem. I see the problem is I'm angry, so I need to just quit being angry. I'll count to 10, and I know I'm not supposed to be angry, so I'll, I'll try hard not to do that. Sort of like somebody that runs into a teddy bear choya and who's not like done it before. <laughs> you think, ah, I've got a problem. It looks to be a superficial problem. I'll just knock that off, right? You tried that, right? That does not fix your problem. <laughs> your problem is deeper than you thought your problem was. Um, you think when you look at moral issues in your life or the sense of defilement that you carry around with you, that it's easy to clean, and it's not. It's it's uh, runs deeper than that. So, yeah, if you if your heart is the problem, like Jesus says here, you need more than just to be a nicer person. You need to be made new. Um, you need a new heart given to you, not just to have this one cleaned up a little bit. Uh, Jesus said, I'll, "I'll quoting the prophets, I'll take out your heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh, because you need that." Because deep down your little heart isn't the precious, beautiful, and nice thing that you think it is, according to Jesus. Uh, deep down your heart is a mess. And a bigger mess than you can fix. So, I want to talk a little bit about the pathologies that come about when we try to use the law as soap. When we try to clean ourselves for God uh, morally. First is, you don't see yourself very well if you do this. Um, you you become deluded about who you really are. I was uh, playing golf with a friend this week, and uh, he hit a ball, and it was hooking uh, hard into the rough, hits a tree, bounces back into the fairway. And he says, amazing grace. <laughs> and I said, dumb luck. <laughs> but apparently, spurred a thought, we're walking toward the ball, and he says, you know, one thing's always bothered me about that song. You know, I've heard the song all my life, I said, but, and I knew what he was going to say. Right? In, in the verse, it says uh, that saved a wretch like me. He said, I, I'm not perfect, but I don't really feel like a wretch. And I thought, this is a way better conversation than I usually get on the golf course. <laughs> don't screw it up. You know? um, but first thing I said, well, the guy who wrote it was a slave trader. So, you know, it could be argued. That he was a wretch. <laughs> no. But also, that's it. But you know, if you 
compare yourself to other people, you're, you know, you come out okay a lot of times, but if you compare yourself to God and His law, you really don't. And uh, he seemed to change the subject after that. But he, didn't, he didn't seem to, you know, react against it. What I wish I had said, you know how you always in retrospect, you think, what I should have said was, have you ever seen A Simple Plan? Have you seen the movie A Simple Plan based on the Scott Turo book? Um, uh, Tom Paxson and Bridget Fonda and Billy Bob Thornton are in it. It's also old, but also in color. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's these Midwestern nice people, you know, Nebraska nice kind of people, who in the winter, uh, in their farm and the land near their house where they hunt, come across a crashed plane that's covered in snow. And inside the plane, they find the pilot who is deceased and a duffel bag full of $400,000 in cash. And so, you know, mischief ensues after that because the money, can we keep it? Is it ours? How much do we care about it? Um, what are we willing to do to keep it? Uh, all these, you know, questions arise in the movie. And the trailer for the movie says, come consider the power of money. And it's a pretty good movie about the power of money. But I think if Jesus looking at it, he would say, come consider the greed of the human heart provoked by just a little bit of money that they found. He said the money didn't cause their problems. Come consider the power of a greedy heart is what the trader probably should say. It really lays out the truth of that. Because the problem isn't the money they found or the power of money. It's that that money flushed things out that were deep in their hearts that they were surprised to find there. They were willing, it's old, I'm not going to spoil it, but they were willing to, to uh, do a lot of things, including killing people, uh, in order to keep this money that they became convinced was theirs. But the problem's in. The problem is not external. I wish I had said that to my friend. Um, the Pharisees and scribes very relatively good people that Jesus is talking to. Any, they look around and they'd say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most people I know. And they really were. They were. We'd all look at them and say, you're better than I am. You know? um, but only relatively good people. Not relative to God. Not relative to His law. Just relative to their neighbors. And so they need an epiphany into their own hearts if they're ever going to see their need for Jesus. Right? They need somehow to have the scales pull back from their eyes to see their own hearts. And it's very hard for us to see that because we don't tend to want to look at it. Think about another thing. If you use the law as soap, not only do you not see yourself well, but you think about politics poorly. Um, because you think, you start to think the law can clean people. And if we have better laws, we'll be better people. That doesn't sound unfamiliar, does it? Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville did not say this, but has been quoted for saying this ever since. Um, America is great because she is good. America is great because she is good. And we have believed and quoted that ever since he didn't say it. I don't know who said it. I know Dwight Eisenhower said it. That's the earliest thing I could find. Um, it's hard for me to imagine reading this that Jesus would say, you know, the great thing about America is that it's, they're good. Right? <laughs> um, it would be a stretch to find that out. So, I was listening to arguments this week and reading this passage a lot at the same time, and everybody's trying to figure out what to do about guns. Right? And uh, one of the arguments that comes up a lot is, well, if you're going to stop bad guys with guns, you need what? 
good guys with guns. And I was like, hmm, good guys. Let's see. Jesus isn't saying there are some people whose hearts are so wicked and evil that murders come out of them. And he's saying, no, all of your hearts are like that. <laughs> like, um, the good guys with guns may be the empty set, right? as they say in the math department. And um, because Jesus says we're all shot through with all of these pathologies, theft, murder, adultery, uh, evil thoughts, all the rest. Right? That's all of us. He's talking to the best, most religious, most responsible people, the people that you would want to have guns. And he would say to them, yet you're not, you're not who you think you are. So Father Brown, you know G.K. Chesterton's detective Father Brown? He's, I like his approach better to crimes. He's a priest who solves crimes on the side. The books are better than the PBS show. I got nothing against the PBS show. The BBC show is good. But, um, but Father Brown's MO for solving crimes is this. He looks at what's happened and he thinks to himself, under what provocations would I have done this? Because he doesn't think, these people are monsters and must be stopped. He thinks, those people are like me and under some provocation did this crime. And so his MO is to sort of unpack that and back up from there. And he's pretty good at solving crimes because he sees people clearly like Jesus does here. Because he knows himself. He knows his own heart. So um, it makes you think about politics and what makes people and nations good if you know that the law isn't soap. Um, training kids. You know, they, they come with these problems that need to be fixed. And uh, sometimes they're serious problems. And when they get a little older, they get even more serious. And it's hard to know. So we tell our kids things like, just do the right thing and your heart will follow. Which I don't know what proof there is for that in anything. But do the right thing and your heart will follow. Which doesn't really sound like Jesus-y advice to me. <laughs> I'm not sure these hearts would, are going to follow, as it turns out. Um, or we say to them, you have to avoid bad influences because you're a good kid, but if you're around bad influences, you know, you might start doing bad kid things. And uh, again, you try to picture Jesus saying something like that, you think, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's really what he's going to say about our kids and their hearts. There's a guy who wrote a book um, back when we needed one about raising children named Ted Tripp, and he was talking to parents who couldn't get their teenager out of bed in the morning. Like, cannot get them out of bed. No matter what I try, we set three alarms across the room. They just can't get up. They won't get up. And he said, well, I can solve that problem for you immediately. He said, get a cattle problem. You get them out of bed. Right? It'll work. If the problem is external, here's the external solution. The cattle prod will solve your problem. But your real problem, and your kid's real problem, isn't... Um, just an external problem about getting out of bed, like all of their problems, it's a heart problem. And if you're going to raise your kids and point them to Jesus at all, then you have to address not just their outward behavior, but their heart. And so somehow you've got to get at that and say, look, the reason that you got angry is something in your heart that needs to be addressed. And it takes longer to try to talk through those kind of things with the kids. Usually I'm just like, don't embarrass me. Stop it. Yeah, but what you're really trying to teach your kids is not be a good little boy because Jesus loves good little boys. 
you're trying to teach your kids, you need Jesus as much as I do, and for the same reasons. And uh, you need to see me trying, trying to get to him in a way that will point you to him too. So when I apologize to my kids, I can't just say, I'm sorry I got mad. But it needs more than that to say, look, I got mad because I care so much about what people think about me and you embarrassed me at church. And I care more about other people's opinion of me than I do about loving you and loving Jesus. And I'm sorry, and I need to repent of that. It's why I need Jesus so much. And that's the kind of apology our kids need, not just, sorry, I got mad. You know? um, because the issues for them and for us are hard issues. And the law won't clean us. So, um, and then the kind of church you become. If, if you're a church that thinks the law can clean people, you'll be a different kind of church than if you think only Jesus can help what's wrong with us. Uh, and people will be able to smell it when they walk in. Um, you want to be a church that's more known for declaring with clarity and a loud voice of what is right and wrong and what uh, the ills of our society are? Or do you want to be a church where people who have crossed those clear, bright lines feel recognized and welcomed and have hope of restoration or redemption. I mean, I want to be both, but I've never seen a church that's both. You may have. I, you need to tell me about it. I'll look on their website. But um, I've really never seen a church that has both of those reputations. And uh, if that means we have to choose, I want to choose to be a church that's about restoration and redemption in Jesus, not about declaring the clear, bright lines of morality uh, to prevent the slide of our culture into degeneracy. Um, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know exactly how to do this, but for instance, let's take uh, abortion. Very popular subject these days, a lot of conversations about it. Um, we could be the church that declares God's law, the sixth commandment, the protection of human life, um, that everybody that gets anywhere near us had better know loud and clear without any uncertainty what right and wrong is. And our church is going to be the public trumpet for that. Or we could be the church where people who have um, gone through abortions and who are grieving from that and reeling from the sense of defilement with that if they have that or feel like this is a place I can come and these people know that I'm not worse than them and they seem to have hope that there's restoration possible for me, redemption possible for me, that Jesus is merciful to people like me. And uh, I want to be that kind of church. But a lot of the churches and a lot of churches I've led, I think, you know, probably have this idea. If you talk about the possibility of forgiveness and redemption and restoration, you're really giving people permission to misbehave. They think, oh, I can just get forgiveness later. But that worry is a, the law can clean you like so worry. Because the Christian church exists to embrace the mercy of Jesus and to extend the mercy of Jesus. Uh, we are broken people uh, reaching out in love to other broken people. And if we believe that only Jesus can help people who are broken, it'll shape us as a church. If we think the law can clean you, 
will become a culture warrior church that comes here not to confess our own sins, but comes here to decry the culture's sins, which is not our calling. Michael Horton said uh, to be culture warrior Christians is it's to criticize the world for being worldly. He says not only is that stupid, it's bad manners. Right? <laughs> so, Pharisees and scribes drew the bright, clear lines. Bright, clear lines all the time. Nobody had any doubt about what they thought and what was right and wrong. And they, would, they would make it known. Uh, but they were not people that exuded any mercy at all. That anyone who needed mercy would come to. And I want us to be. Not downplaying the law when I say this. The law is beautiful. It's good. It's true. It's hard. And it describes everything that's wrong with me. It's a mirror to do that. Um, this is not a religion to help pretty good people stay the course. This is a religion to help broken people find mercy in Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what Jesus is frustrated with with these people and trying to drive home to them as he speaks to them. So, and I'm not saying to you that as soon as you become a Christian, you get this heart of flesh and then you are a good little person because you're not. Um, you, you start into a process with your heart of flesh where Jesus is changing you, but for your whole life, this list of things he says are in your heart will say, yeah, that's in my heart. I've been 50 plus years into this Christian faith and everything he says about the heart right there, I, re- I resonate with today. I don't need Jesus less than I used to. And you won't come to either. So Alexander Solzhenitsyn, writing about Gulag Archipelago, back during the Cold War, describing the sort of the horrors of the evil empire of the Soviet Union, um, speaking to people in the West, said this, it's a famous quote, if it were only so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? That's a man who knows the law can never be soap. And a man who has his hope in the mercy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.